It's a beautiful medley. Thank you, Connie, for that. Love those old hymns and uh, thinking of those lyrics as she plays that. Yeah, what a wonderful thing that is. Well, it's great to have Brother Thistle with us for Youth Camp this week. I know the kids got to meet him in youth group today, many of them. And parents, you're going to get to meet him now in just a minute as he comes to speak. I met Brother Thistle for the first time ever in a Walmart parking lot this morning. I'd never met him before. Now, everybody I've ever talked to who knows Brother Thistle has spoken highly of him. Um, but this morning, I was at Walmart grabbing some stuff for starting point, and uh, he came in with Andrew in the van. He, his shaving kit, he left in his hotel room the night before, or the night before he came here, and so they had to go get some stuff, and that's the first time I got to meet him. So it was an interesting experience for both of us, and, yeah, but I, I'm looking forward to spending some time with him up at camp this week and get to know him more. And I know we're going to enjoy the service here this morning. Summer Maddox is coming to sing for us, and I know you'll enjoy that. And then listen as Brother Thistle preaches today. The cruelest word, the coldest heart, the deepest wound, the endless dark, the lonely ache, the burning tears, the bitter nights, the wasted years, life falls apart but we know these are places where grace is soon to be so amazing and maybe unfulfilled and maybe Restored, but when anything that shattered is laid before the Lord, just watch and see it will not be unreading for every choice that led to shame and all the love that never came for every vow that someone broke and every life that gave up hope we live in the shadow the fall but the cross says these are all places where grace is soon to be so amazing and maybe unfulfilled 
and maybe I'm restored. But when anything that shattered is laid before the Lord, just watch and see. It will not be unredeemed. Oh, he will wipe every tear. Oh, will not be, I'll be unredeemed. Oh, you if I didn't say that I'm super excited to be here. I don't know why someone would say they're not excited to be here uh, when they get up before people to speak. Well, I'm not really excited to be here this morning. I am really excited and and for a couple reasons. Um, I was a little intimidated at first because I am from Maine. How many of you have ever been to Maine before? A couple of you, okay. Does anybody know what Maine is famous for? Lobsters, very good. Somebody else? I heard someone say, potatoes. We are the second leading producer of potatoes. And so I was a little intimidated. I said, I don't really want to go up there where there's a lot of that, the number one state in potatoes and try to like, because usually places that I go speak, I say, I'm from the second leading producer of potato state. And I wear it with pride and uh, I can't so much do that. Uh, you guys, you guys beat me on that one. But I was excited. I've never been to Idaho uh, before. I've actually never been to any of the the, uh, the the Northwest and like the Big Sky area, Montana, the Dakotas, Idaho. And so I've always heard how gorgeously beautiful it was, and uh, and how great the um, the climate is. And so I was so excited <laughs> to come and be a part of. I, Andrew uh, called me. Said, "Yeah, brother." He's like. Um, uh, it's going to be 109 degrees uh, the, the, the day that you're here, the first day that you're here. And I, th- I honestly thought he was exaggerating. I was like, okay. And I was like, Andrew, he's always exaggerating. And uh, <laughs> I looked on my phone and it said 109. I went, oh my word. So I, uh, I'm originally from San Diego. I grew up in Maine. I met my wife in Indiana. I moved to uh, transferred schools to uh, Arkansas and then was a youth pastor in Florida for uh, about four years, and now I'm back in Arkansas. And so um, if you could show a picture of my family, this is my family. We have a beautiful wife. Her name is Denise. We met uh, in school, and then our 
five-year-old daughter, Jocelyn. She's about to turn six years old, and she is out of control. Uh, she is. We have, a, we have, of course, every American family needs to have their, their dog uh, in the picture, and so we brought our dog in the picture. But uh, I am happy to be here. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. That's where we'll be this morning. I'm looking forward to camp. I love teenagers. I was a youth pastor for for almost four years. I think it was about three and a half years. I was a youth pastor in Jacksonville. I love teenagers and and guys. The the, the and I'm not here to to bring the doom and the woe and the and the you know bring. Do you know where our country's headed? And bring up the Supreme Court decision. But you know what? Our teenagers in today's day and age are growing up in a world that that even I as a 32-year-old didn't have to grow up with. The temptations, the the influences that are out there are completely different than what we had to handle. And so uh, I hope uh, those of you who are going to camp, and of course those of you who aren't, uh, hopefully in this service, I, my, my biggest thing is I would love to, to show you what the love of Christ is like. And I hope and my prayer is not that you would be impressed with with any speaking ability, which you won't be, uh, but uh, anything like that. I, I really honestly, and, and parents and, and Centennial Baptist Church, if you would pray with me this week that, that God would be evident, that the Holy Spirit would be evident, that lives would be changed, not, not, not for a week, not for two weeks, but that, that life change would truly happen uh, this week. And God can do that. I can't do it. We can't do that, but we can pray for that to hap- happen. Second uh, Samuel chapter number 6. One of my favorite stories in all of God's word, David has just become king of Israel. David, I think, is, is a, along with most people, like one of the top uh, uh, characters in the Bible, one of the favorites. Like if you were to ask me, Matt, what's your five favorite characters in the Bible? David would be one of them. Peter would be another one. And I think because we can all relate to David. We can relate, not that we've been king of a country, but but David is just so human. He had, he makes so many dumb mistakes where you're like, David, are you serious? Why would you do that? And then yet God calls him a, a man after his own heart. Uh, uh, extended grace is given to David. I mean, I'm not saying I... I, I uh, you know, relate to David because David's a murderer and adulterer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying David is one of those guys where he is just, he's constantly making mistakes. Peter was another one of those guys, you know, like, I'll, I'll save the world. I'll save you, Jesus. You know, not that you're not powerful enough to save yourself. I'll cut off the ear. You know, David kind of is one of those characters where we can relate to as humans, making mistakes, needing the grace of God in our lives. David is one of these people. David, as a young person, he's completely passed over by his family as a candidate for king. He's brought in and an anointed king by Samuel. One day he's going to get it, and then we don't have time to go through the entire story, but you know David struggles to become king. In fact, he even he even wrestles with his own uh, ambition and 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 follows the leading of God and does not overtake the throne, even though he has a chance to overtake the throne, does it all in God's timing, does it perfectly. And finally, he's king of Israel. Finally. And the desire accomplished, so the Bible says in Psalms, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Think for just a moment of maybe for you it was getting married, or maybe for you it was a job promotion, or something in your life that you worked very, very hard at, and you finally got it. Remember, for me, it was Bible college. I squeezed the uh, four-year program into seven years. I was able to finish in just under 
seven years. And so uh, for me, that was one of like one of the moments when I walked across the platform, got that bachelor's degree. I was like, oh my goodness. And uh, I, another another one for me was the, the, the day that I got married. Uh, my wife and I dated for the first time as freshmen in college. And uh, I remember the first time I saw her, uh, I was actually, ex- I was extremely shy. I was from Maine, grew up uh, in a very small town, didn't know a whole lot of people. I went to this college running, you know, well over a thousand people. And this was just, it was just like, boom, you know, like, oh my goodness, people were talking to me. And I didn't, I didn't really, I was kind of introverted. I didn't want to talk to anybody. So I took this class. I was in a U.S. history class and I was sitting all the way back right there, man in the black t-shirt. That was me. Right back there, okay? That was me. I was sitting all the way in. Actually, no, it was, I didn't see the lady sitting beside. Is that your wife? Okay, that was me. I mean, not me because I was a male, but yeah. <laughs> I was sitting all the way in the corner, all the way in the back. I didn't want anyone to see me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And, and uh, she wasn't my wife at the time, obviously, but Denise would come in. She was always late. To every single class, she was late. And so that was so attractive to me. And uh, now she, she, sl- she would always slip in the back and she would always kind of sit in that area, not because she was trying to sit by me. She was just slipping in the back because she was late. And I remember noticing her and I, and I was trying to work up the courage, you know, to say hi, you know, or something. And uh, I couldn't do it. And, and finally, one day she turns around because she noticed that I wasn't sitting back there because I was late. I was just sitting back there. And she turns around. And she goes, what's your problem? I remember my face just got like all beat red. <laughs> oh my goodness. A girl is talking to me. Um, and uh, I said, I don't, I, I said, I just kind of looked at her and she goes, you're always sitting in the back. Are you doing it to check out all the girls? And I remember my face got even more beat red. But I finally asked her, we had our first date going to church on Sunday night. And I bought like, they went down to the little uh, coffee shop deal that they had and I bought some candy. And in the candy, they had those fun size Snicker bars. Which, to me, fun size is not small. Fun size would be bigger. Anyway, uh, I ate one, and I got a little peanut lodged in my throat. Now, have you ever been in, like, especially, like, for those of you who've ever been on a date before? And it's, I mean, it's the first, I mean, this girl is, like, the woman of my dreams. I can't believe she said yes to even sitting with me in church. I'm sitting next to her, and I get this, like, little peanut. It wasn't, like, horrible. It wasn't like I couldn't breathe. But it was bad enough to where I felt like, okay, I need to get this you know, dislodge, you kind of <clears throat> go like that, try to get it out, and it wasn't coming out. And so, at the, you know, it's at the point where I'm either going to embarrass myself the entire time by going, <clears throat> <clears throat> or I can just like hack it out, you know, <clears throat> and get it out. And so I finally hacked it out. But uh, anyway, she said yes that night. I asked her to a Valentine banquet. Then we went uh, about a year or so where she wanted to date other people. I don't know why, but um, uh, and um, she was because actually after two dates, I was telling everyone she was my girlfriend, and it freaked her out. But uh, uh, then ended up asking her out again, and we got married. We did long distance uh, when, after I transferred schools for about a year and a half, two years, and so I remember finally after knowing her for seven, uh, six and a half years, finally walking across the platform, dipping her down and getting that kiss. And man, we're finally married. There was a lot of work. There was a lot of money involved in, uh, in getting married. And the desire accomplished that feeling. For you, you're thinking about what that is for you right now, aren't you? Maybe one or two or three things. And when you find, have you gone to boot camp yet? 
Okay, going to boot camp, that's going to be one of those feelings, man, in your life. My dad went to boot camp, everyone I've talked to, that feeling of, of watching the flag and getting, you know, not just sworn in, but, but, but you've finished one of the hardest things that you'll ever do in your life. And it's like, whew, it's not just a breath of relief, but it's a feeling, a sense of accomplishment. The Bible says the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. That, that goes for the secular world. It goes for the spiritual world. You, uh, anyone know who Michael Jordan is? I don't know if you guys knew any of like what goes on at the other part of the United States. So I figured you'd know Michael Jordan. I didn't know if I, I actually like looked it up. I'm like, okay, uh, Boise State quarterbacks, Kellen Moore. What's the other guy? Jared Zambrowski or something. Am I right? Did I get that right? Close enough? Okay. Um, who's your rival? Do you guys have a rival at Boise State? Oklahoma? <laughs> okay. Anyway, I, I, uh, Michael Jordan, Everyone, old, anyone in here old enough to remember that iconic picture of him holding his sixth NBA trophy? There's sweat pouring down his face. There's been like 18 other fingers and nasty fingers that have touched the trophy, and he's kissing like this NBA trophy, Right? You know, that was his desire. He wanted to win NBA championships. He did a pretty good job at it. He won six of them. He's one of the best of all time, if not the best basketball player to ever live. When he won that championship, you can see the excitement, the joy, the relief, the accomplishment on his face. David has just accomplished his life goal. King of Israel, it's going to come someday. It's going to come someday. It's still not yet. It's still not yet. It's still not yet. Finally, he's king of Israel. I would think, put yourself in his shoes, that this is the, mom, the momentous moment in his life. Hey, don't worry, Israel. Everything's going to be okay. Saul, he slayed his thousands. Me, I've slayed my ten thousands. I'm the one that defeated Goliath when Saul wouldn't stand up to him. Saul, wicked king. David, good king or bad king? Good king, right? He is coming in to save Israel. But as we read the chapter, this is not what his desire was. He was king, but he wasn't happy yet. The desire accomplished had not yet happened. Follow along with me as we go through this passage. I'm going to read uh, the first two verses. And then we'll kind of skip through, just follow along as I, as I kind of skip around here in the passage. But verse 1 says, Again, David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. The ark of the covenant was not just a picture at this time, of the presence of God, but the presence of God Almighty actually dwelled between the cherubims. I mean, this was, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. We at New Testament Christians, man, we got something that the Old Testament Christians never could have dreamed of having. We actually have the presence of God living, whoa, I'm used to Gospel Lights pulpit, sorry. We actually have the Holy Spirit, God's presence, living inside of us. Man, that is something else. And when every time I try, to, I try to fathom and think of that thought, I just, I can't even do it. God lives inside of me? God lives inside of me. The power of God lives inside of me. 
the Old Testament Christians, David and, and, and all the other greats, Abraham and Moses, they didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. It dwelt inside the temple, inside of an ark. A, a, a high priest had to go in to the Holy of Holies. But we have that in us. And David is not satisfied with being king. He's only going to be satisfied if he can bring the presence of God back to Jerusalem, back where it belongs. If you were to open up the Ark of the Covenant, you'd find three items in there. Let's have a little history test, a little Bible test. Who can tell me what one of those items is? Oh, it sounded like a... Bull of manna. Aaron's rod. Good. Anybody else? Stone tablets. The stone tablets. I got it. I finished it for you. It's all good. Three items sitting in the Ark of the Covenant. The bowl of manna. Remember, remember what the bowl of manna stood for? The Israelites traveling through the wilderness, not even knowing where their next meal will come from. And the Lord provides in the middle of no provision, provides for the Israelites. Have you ever been at a time in your life when that has happened? When the presence of God was so real in your life and you didn't know what was going to happen next, but God gave it to you. It's kind of hard sometimes for us Americans who are living the American dream to think about God providing for us. We're pretty good at providing for ourselves. But I'm not talking about manna or food or raiment, or a vehicle, or a place to live. Yes, there's times that we go through little financial struggles, or maybe even sometimes hard financial struggles, and God does come through in those times. But how about the times that you don't see where any provision will come for, uh, come from? Like maybe a family member that passes away that you depended on their advice. You depended on their friendship. You depended on their love. And they're gone. God provides grace in the times that we don't see how in the world it's going to happen. God said he would take care of his children. And you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, which means you have 100% access. 100% access to the provision of God. Oftentimes we don't take advantage of that. And I don't mean advantage of it for our own self. I mean, oftentimes we go through times of depression, times of discouragement. And God said, I defeated that at the cross. I gave you the ability to not have to be depressed, to not go through depression, to not go through those times in your life. Yes, there may be little seasons of, 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 of discouragement, but God has given you the power inside of you to overcome those things. Number two is Aaron's rod. Remember the story of Aaron's rod? Aaron's holding the rod. God says, cast the rod down. It becomes a snake, right? A serpent. And then it turns back into a rod. You know, the rod was just an inanimate object. It was just a piece of wood. It was just something that really wasn't anything. If I were to bring up to you and say, everyone look at this stick. It's awesome. Let me tell you something. We're not awesome. This Bible, if you just take the actual contents of it, it's a piece of leather, some rice paper. I hope it's leather. I paid a lot of money for it. It's probably fake. Ink on a page. A little, everyone have one of these, right? You don't have one? Someone said no. 
dog, you need to get one that has one of these. They're so, they're awesome. It's okay, though. I'll get you one. Okay, okay, I got you. By itself, God's word is just an inanimate object. By ourselves, we are just dust of the earth. But when God decides to breathe life into something, it becomes powerful. You have the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have not just 100% access to his provision, but 100% access to his power. That is a mighty thing. I don't have time to go into, first of all, there isn't enough, there isn't enough time in the world to go into how powerful God is. But just to try to meditate on that thought for just a minute of how powerful our God is. I remember when I was a teenager, it's about 13 or 14 years old, which for a teenage boy is like the worst time of your life. All the girls are taller than you. Your voice is starting to, you know, try to get into manhood and you're still squeaking. Uh, and and it's, just, it's just not, do we have any of those in here? Sorry, right over here. <laughs> no one's raising their hand, but there's a couple of people pointing. Yeah, this guy. When I was a teenage, a teenager, we, my, my dad uh, pastored a church in Maine, started it in 1989, and, and I'm the pastor's son. I was going on visitation with, with, a, uh, with another teenager in, in my youth group. He was two years older than I was, and the only thing that I liked about teen visitation was, well, there was two things I liked about it. One, going home, <clears throat> and then number two was the times that I didn't have to say anything. You know, the silent partner, the person that's supposed to be praying and saying, God, please work and have the, like, I just, I didn't want to talk to anybody. My voice is squeaky. I didn't know how to dress. I, I looked a mess. And I remember uh, going up and it was my turn. And I remember knocking on this person's door. And not that this is the, necessarily the best way to do this, but God was, was, was working in this moment. And I didn't know it at the time. I'm knocked on the door and I'm holding the, the uh, information card tracked in my hand and and uh, the guy opens the door, and I said, hi, how are you? <laughs> I cried a little bit. I heard a cry. It was exact, that was exactly how I sounded. And uh, he said, uh, pretty good. And I said, uh, my name is Matt, <clears throat> and uh, we, have, you, have you ever heard of Anchor Baptist Church? I'm handing him the track, and I'm thinking, this is horrible. And I cried a little more. And then he took the track from me, and I said, I, said, uh, I didn't say anything. I was hoping at this time, hopefully... Maybe a little door slammage. Maybe uh, like, okay, thank you. Go, go on your way. And then it'll be the other guy's turn. And I won't have to say anything. So I'm pretty excited about it because of the prospect of maybe not having to speak anymore. But he kept on looking at this piece of paper. And I'm sitting there and the Holy Spirit's saying, well, say something to him. Say something to him. And I was like, you say something. You don't have your voice cracking. And uh, he said, no, I can't speak unless I speak through you. That's the way it works. And I said, okay. And I said, uh, yes, um, on there it shows you how you can go to heaven and uh, how you can be uh, a part of Christ's family. And he, goes, he starts he's nodding his head up and down. I'm like, are you serious? I have to talk more? I said, <laughs> I said is, um, is, that, that, is that something you would like to know about? And uh, he said, yeah, I would. I would like to know about that. And so I just, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was like, uh, so I went through the thing and went through the Bible with him, went through scripture with him. And at the end, I said, is that something you'd like to do? Would you like to ask Christ to be in your life, to be your savior, to come, in, come into your heart? And, and he said, yes. And he said, and I'm going to tell you why right now. He says, you just impress me. 
I'm looking at you. Your voice is so manly. <laughs> the way that you are just put together. I mean, honestly, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, what must I do to be a Christian? You're, it wasn't me. <laughs> There's no way it was me. <laughs> it wasn't. You know what it was? It was the power of God inside of me. A little 15-year-old twerp got to see somebody pass from death to life, not because he was anybody, but because he that lived inside of me was everything. Guys, you have that power living inside of you. You don't have to go to an Ark of a Covenant. It's living inside of you. Stone tablets, I don't have time to get into it, but I make the correlation with the, yeah, there's, it's the law, but when we have the law and Christ helps us, gives us grace, he's the only one that was able to, to obey the law. We can't obey the law on our own. We need his power. He also gives us the power of Christ and it, it gives us the promises of Christ. We have access to his promises. We have access to his presence. We have access to his power. We have access to his provision, and it's all living inside of us. Here in the Old Testament, it's on the Ark of the Covenant, and David wants to get the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. In fact, he's so adamant about getting it back. Remember the story that follows in the next couple verses? Achan, or not Achan, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Uzzah. So it rhymes with Achan, I think. <laughs> Uzzah reaches out and touches the cart, they tried to put it on a new cart, which is not the way that God said to transport the ark. God kills us. God has to show Israel, has to show David, if you want my presence, there's one way to get it, and you have to do it my way. We don't just get to decide, I want God's presence. Okay, God says there's one way to, to my presence, and it's through Jesus Christ. If you want God's presence, it's through him. There is one way to get his presence. Finally, they get the Ark of the Covenant back, and they're on their way. We'll pick it up in verse number... Uh, verse number 13. And it was so that when they had bare the ark of the Lord and had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fallings. He's giving the glory, to God, the glory to God. He's saying, man, God, we have your presence back. This is great. And then verse number 14, David, I want everyone to say this with me. And most of the time I say this at the church, everyone's just, okay, you guys be the first one to like say it nice and like, like strong. And David what? That was good. All right, good. Uh, David danced before the Lord with all his might, okay? Uh, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with what? With shouting and with the sound of what? The trumpet. And the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Michael, Saul's daughter, looked down through a window and saw King David. Okay, let me paint this picture for you. The ark of God, the presence of God, is back where it finally belongs. David is pretty excited about it. This is, this is, he wasn't waiting to become king. He wanted the presence of God. And now it's back. Now he's dancing. And I don't picture like a little dance like this, okay? He was jumping up and down. He was excited about the presence of God. There was a trumpet blowing. I mean, it was exciting. Everything was going on. People are dancing all around. The presence of God is back where it is supposed to be. Everyone is excited about God being there. Okay. You're not as excited as I thought you'd be. Let me put it in... Let me put it in my terms. I, don't, please, no one boo. Okay, if a couple people boo, it's okay. I understand. 
I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. I know. I thought I'd get that. I'm from the Northeast. I can't help it. It's like a religion. You're born into it. Uh, Tom Brady, like, I don't care what you say. I don't care how much proof is out there. He didn't cheat. He didn't do it. Uh, He did not deflate those footballs, uh, no matter what anyone says. And he's the best quarterback to have ever lived in the entire universe. And you could take all the great quarterbacks, Joe Montana, all of them, combine them into one quarterback, and Tom Brady would still beat them with one arm tied behind his back. That's how biased I am about Tom Brady. My family, that beautiful family that you saw, including my dog, we all have Tom Brady jerseys. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And during football season, I DVR the game. And as soon as the invitation starts, my family, we head out. It's, no, I'm just kidding. Not that we head out, but we do. We put on. We do put on. We put on all our Tom Brady jerseys. We call ourselves the Brady Bunch, and we watch. We watch the game. My wife makes a spread. She's Hispanic, so she makes some awesome like queso, and we've got like nachos, and we've got like popcorn, and we just we, we get everything set just right. We sit down on our couch. Uh, Jocelyn's like, Daddy, I want to go play. Shut up! It's game time, and uh, she watches the game. She loves it. And, uh, and we'll, we'll sit there and, and like, you know, man, when you see Tom Brady throw that perfect spiral, you know, outstretched hands, Julian Edelman, touchdown. Like I go absolutely nuts. I'm like, I, I kind of go like this. I'm like, man, I, I go to my wife. I say, that was such, she's not here. Otherwise I would be shaking her hand. I say, Denise, wasn't that a, that was a great touchdown. Wasn't it sister? And she says, yes, sir. And then I look at my daughter, and she's about to give me high fives. I said, no high fives. <laughs> we can't get too excited about it. And I shake her hand. I said, Mr. Thomas Brady, he's, he's our favorite quarterback, isn't he? And we all in unison say, yes, he is. And then, and then I unpause. Are you kidding me? This is not how I watch the game. No way. I get, I get excited about watching Patriots football. I love Patriots football. I DVR the games, and when Tom Brady throws a touchdown, especially when it's a game winner, I'm taking the popcorn. It's going everywhere. Nachos are fine. I'm like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Take that. Everybody, take it. And then I, I take my daughter. When she was younger, she was about football size, and I would spike her. And No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But I, I, I loved it. I mean, this is it. Woo! Yeah! Go Patriots! I get so excited about watching Patriots football. I just, wow! Can you imagine meeting Tom Brady? Oh, that would be unbelievable. I would give, I would give everything to meet him. Would we give everything? You did? <laughs> would we give everything to meet our Savior? He didn't throw a touchdown. He died at Calvary. He broke every chain, every bondage, anything that could hold us in our sin. We were destined to be in hell, and he broke that. We have, a, we have eternity with him. We have freedom with him. Man, whatever temptations come in my life, man, I ought to be like, I don't care. I will give everything to follow that man. I will give everything to be in his presence. I will give everything. And when we get it, after we get it, sometimes we will do whatever we can to, 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 to follow Christ. And then as soon as we do, it's like, thank you. I've got it from here. And we lose our excitement. We lose our passion. We would turn on a stupid football game and watch Tom Brady. I've never met who, by the way, could care less that I'm a Patriots fan. 
If I wrote him tomorrow and said, I want a million dollars or I'm changing, I'm going to be an Aaron Rodgers fan, he wouldn't care. He doesn't care about me. My Savior gave everything for me. Everything. He died on a cross. He gave his life for me. Why? Because I was a 15-year-old guy who can't even speak, who was a sinner, who was a rebel, who didn't deserve anything. I was basically spitting in the face of God because I, because I was living in my sin nature. That's who we are. Nothing in us is good. If you think that you're a good person, you're wrong. If there's anything good in you, it's of Christ. And God died for us? Man, that makes me want to spike something. That makes me want to get excited. I don't blame David. David is jumping up and down. He's excited about the presence of God. I finally have it. It's back where it belongs. David is dancing before the Lord. Some of us don't... I'm not saying we have a mosh pit or start dancing like this. But some of us need to be excited this morning and think back. We've got not just the presence of God with the Ark of the Covenant coming in. We have the Holy Spirit living in us everywhere we go. Man, ISIS doesn't scare me. The Supreme Court ruling doesn't scare me. Are you kidding me? Sinners do what sinners do. Why are we shocked? They need Christ. So let's quit whining about it and go tell somebody about what Christ did for you because you'd be just like them if it wasn't for Christ. So let's get off our high horses. God has done everything for us. We can be like David. And with this, I'm done. This is the message. We can be like David and rejoice in his presence. Or let's finish that verse that we were looking at. Verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. More than likely, the passages that I read, the commentaries that I read, she's probably up high looking through a window down at what David is doing. By the way, it's not called, she's not called Michael, David's wife, is she? Who she referred to as here? Saul's daughter. Her position in this kingdom was more important than her position in that kingdom. I'm Saul's daughter. My daddy would have never acted that way. Because what does she do? She sees King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his high place. Uh, look at verse number 20. Then David returned to bless his household. Can you imagine, you ever been like, like this guy's before? You know, you run into the house, you're like, oh man, I have the most awesome day. This is going to be great. You get home, open up the door, and your wife's like, oh, now you're home. I'm just kidding. None of you would be that way. My wife has never done that. I'm glad, so glad she's not here. So glad that you're here instead. <laughs> and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today? who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handsmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. For the sake of time, skip down to verse number 23. Therefore, Michael, uh, the 
wife of David, note, the daughter of Saul had no child unto the day of her death. I'm going to tell you something. You want to know why the world hates people like Tim Tebow? Because he has extraordinary faith in God. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He's going to promote his Savior because he's in love with him. That type of faith, I've, I've noticed, yeah, you know what? Sometimes, most of the time, it turns off the world. Because they don't understand it. But I don't expect them to understand it. They don't have God living inside of them. How can they understand it? It's our job to give them grace and show them love, even though they despise us and hate us. But when someone else that has Christ, sometimes when they see that faith, when they are no longer living in the passion of loving Christ, there it is again, when they are living in the passion of Christ, of loving Christ, you know how it is. My hand's raised. I've been there. When I see somebody living in complete abandon, not caring what anyone else is thinking, is just so excited about what God is doing in their life, I get a little jealousy. Don't we? What are they acting that way for? <laughs> Wait till you've been in a couple more years, buddy. It gets harder. There's a thing called burnout. Don't know if you've ever heard about it. And we like to rain on other people's parade. New believer comes in, in the church. They don't act like we do. Maybe they, I can't believe they don't know all the songs or whatever we think. Don't be like Michael. Don't despise those that are on fire for God. Your pastor has a vision for this church, and he says, guys, I know this sounds crazy. I know you may be a little uncomfortable with it, but I'm telling you, I want this church to move forward. This is what we're going to do. Get behind that. If he says dance, do it. I guess. <laughs> do you know what I mean? The presence of God means everything. Here it is. Here's the question. Just a moment, I'll ask Pastor Van Manen if you come and close the invitation. But here's the question. Some of you in this room may have never had, you don't know what it's like to have God living inside of you, the Holy Spirit living inside of you because you're not saved. Let me tell you something. I grew up in church and I thought I was happy. I would try to make things happen until one day I met Christ, even though I had been sitting in a pew all my life saying, uh-huh, oh, that's good. That's good right there, preacher. But I didn't even know what true joy meant until I surrendered me. And I said, God, I will follow you no matter the cost. It was like the biggest burden came, came off my back and I wanted to dance before the Lord. It was exciting. And some of us like myself, sometimes we forget what it was like when we brought the Ark of the Covenant in to our life. And life becomes more about who we are, what we have, our job status, our social status. And let me warn you, that is exactly what happened to Michael. She was the daughter of Saul. 
this kingdom meant everything. Guys, if I could get us to focus, I know this is what your pastor would want. If we could focus on the kingdom of God, we are only here for a short time. Those of you who are older than me, you understand. I'm 32 years old. I feel like yesterday, I was telling the teens in in the youth group, I feel like I was 16 yesterday. It's gone. Vapor, boom, over. You have one life to make as much money as you can for what? To be as popular as you can, teenager, for what? So that you can get to heaven and say, I was pretty popular down on earth for 70 years. Now I can't wait to live for eternity, millions and billions and zillions and quadrillions of years. It's not going to mean anything. Build his kingdom, not yours. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you stand with me? I don't know, every church gives an invitation.